Hey, good morning, FCF. Uh, this is now our fourth Sunday in uh, Coronaville, and it's certainly not anything that we anticipated or expected. Uh, nevertheless, I am so thankful and glad that we can be together in some way. And I want to start out by just um, throwing something out to you. Maybe some of you are watching this, and you've always wanted to try out one of the growth groups, but you're a little hesitant about getting out there and meeting some people face-to-face -face and that sort of thing. Well, we have new groups that we're going to be running now during this spring season, and they're called Zoom groups. Some of you are familiar with the technology, but essentially you'd look on your computer, and you and your group members would appear in a tiny little picture on the screen, and you'd have your regular growth group from the luxury of your home, and all people would see is your face, and they wouldn't see that very good, so you could literally be in your pajamas and enjoy yourself. So I hope some of you will take this unusual opportunity to venture out and join one of these Zoom growth groups. Uh, Joan Heft is overseeing the groups, so just contact her or, or contact FCF in general information. Well, we've been waiting now, waiting for four long weeks, and we're still waiting for the big day, the big celebration, that first Sunday that we finally all get back together and everything becomes as normal as what it's going to be for now. But uh, the waiting is difficult because it's uncertain. You know, it just keeps changing from week to week, uh, depending on what news station you listen to. But our waiting is nothing like the waiting that the nation of Israel had gone through when we come to the portion of Scripture that I want to share with you today. This portion of Scripture, it's, it's commonly called the triumphal entry of Jesus. We call it Palm Sunday. But you have to picture the context. The nation of Israel had literally been waiting for about 1,500 years for this mysterious personage called the Christ, the Messiah, the one that was going to reveal all the truth that was necessary about God and about His will, His ways, His methodology, His character, and He was going to write everything. He was going to tear down the barriers that had been put between man and God and make all things right. And so they waited and they waited, and now... They thought that they had finally found the one. For three and a half years, a tiny little window of time in human history, the earth had seen some sanity, had seen some beauty, had laid hold of some real hope. When Jesus came and started his ministry, for the first time in human history, people really started to believe we could be delivered from things like hatred and diseases and demonic activity and death itself. Jesus came revealing a picture of God that was a loving God, a compassionate God, a receiving and an accepting God. And hopes ran high. His miracles, His power, His kindness, it culminated in everyone thinking, just maybe, even though the religious leaders opposed Him viciously, the regular people, for the most part, were thinking, maybe, just maybe, finally our waiting is over. So that's kind of the context. Now I'm going to start by reading Matthew chapter 20. This is just days before Jesus would ultimately go to the cross. But let me pick up reading in Matthew 20, verse 17. It says, As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve aside privately, and he said to them on the way, Look, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priest and the experts in the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged severely and crucified. Yet on the third day, he will be raised. Now, 
He tells them this just days before this triumphal entry that we're going to look at. Now, mind you, this was not the first time that Jesus had told his disciples that he was going to be crucified. He told them at the beginning of his ministry. He told them in the middle. Now he tells them at the end. He repeats this in Matthew 26, literally just two days before the event. He tells them again, guys, I'm going to be crucified. The night of, his last night, he says, it's going to happen. I'm going to be crucified. But I'll always he always tells them he'll always rise the third day. So that's the context. Jesus is fearlessly going into Jerusalem. He knows what awaits him, and yet he knows that it's the only way that the full revelation of God to break the distrust of humanity can ever occur. So now let me pick up reading chapter 21. It says, Now when they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, telling them, Go to the village ahead of you. Right away you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. A, a colt, just for reference, it's, a, it's a, a male donkey that's four years old or less. Uh, both of the donkeys are taken. It's probably it was the young colt and the mother. It goes on and says, If anyone says anything to you, you are to say to them, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what the prophet, this is quoting Zechariah from the Old Testament, some roughly 500 years before Jesus, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, tell the people of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, unassuming and seated on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And again, the colt, the foal of a donkey, it's a four-year-old or less-year-old donkey. So, so the disciples went, and they did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey, that would be the mother, and the colt, and they placed their cloaks, their clothing, on them, and he sat on them. He sat on the clothing, albeit the journey was about a mile and three quarters. He might have ridden some of the way on the mother, who might would have been stronger, and then the final way on the colt. Verse 8, it says, A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, and those following kept shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! Pause for a minute. Let me just fill you in. What does this Hosanna mean? And by the way, they're quoting Psalm 118, verse 25 and 26, which the Jews knew to be a psalm of the Messiah, as was Zechariah 9, 9, about him coming in on a colt. Hosanna literally means save now, save us now. And so when they were saying Hosanna to the highest, the people were literally shouting, save us now to the utmost. That's what it means, the highest. Now, now here's the irony. They were saying the right things, but they didn't really mean what they were saying. They, they, they thought they did, but, but I, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll, I'll unpack that in a bit. So they're saying Hosanna in the highest, or save us now to the uttermost, as he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was thrown into an uproar, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, I'll pause there to just sort of fill this in. You have to understand, Jesus is now, this is Sunday, we call it Palm Sunday, he's, he's five days from the cross. The crowd, after nearly 1,500 years of waiting, they think they are the generation that has been given the privilege to see the Messiah. He's riding in, fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy. 
they start reiterating, showing that they are recognizing him as the Messiah by responding with Psalm 118, verse 25 and 26, Hosanna, Hosanna is blessed to see that comes in the name of the Lord, and so forth. Save us now, save us in the highest, save us to the uttermost, they're saying. But here's what was the problem. They were celebrating, essentially, the right time, the right way, but not for the right reason. They had a completely insufficient picture of what the Messiah, what the Christ, really was like, really what his mission was, really what his purpose was. You have to understand what the Jewish uh, messianic expect expectation was. The Jews through the centuries had been so tired of being humiliated by the Gentile empires. First they were enslaved to the Egyptians, then they were overrun by the Assyrians, after them the Babylonians, after them the Persians, after them the Greeks. Now in their day the Romans were rubbing it in their nose and they were so tired of it. And they wanted those days of golden years when Solomon reigned and they had a powerful kingdom that was respected by all. So you have to understand this to the Jew of these days, including all the Jewish leaders. This is what they taught. The Messiah, his primary function was to come and be a political military deliverer. In other words, they expected he was going to come in humbly on this donkey, but ultimately he was going to take that supernatural miracle power that they had seen. He was going to overthrow the rule of the Romans and make Israel the most powerful nation on earth and rule and reign from Israel, and Israel would rule and reign over the nations. They wanted that kind of deliverance. When they were saying, save us now to the, to the utmost, they were saying, save us now circumstantially, politically, militaristically to the utmost. And most of us now know that was not at all the kind of salvation, the kind of deliverance that the real Messiah, the real Christ, came to bring. So here's the thing we need to zero in on. What had happened to the Jews of that day is that they became blinded by their own desires to their greatest needs. Let, let me repeat that because this is something that you and I are so prone to do. We, we can become so blinded by our desires that we start to mold and shape Christ into the image that we want him to be rather than the image he is. We become so blinded by our desires that we can't see our greatest needs. This whole timeout, this divine timeout with this coronavirus crisis that we're going through, we tend to think in immediate terms. We tend to think of immediate needs. And I'm not saying that we can ever just forget these, but what if instead of our immediate desires, what if this was a special divinely given time out because God intends to meet some of our deeper needs? You see, when we let our desires color what we expect God to do and to be and how we expect Him to respond to us and what we expect Him to give to us or do for us, well, we, we completely limit His ability to work in our lives. In other words, if my desires are what dominate my view of Christ, the only language that he can speak to me in is in the language of fulfilling what I want, when I want it, how I want it. Well, I've now boxed God in. I, I, I've completely limited his capacity. What these Jews were doing then, and you and I have the capacity to do now, 
is to have such strong, dominant desires of what we want God to do for us that we start expecting God to do that for us and we tie His hands from doing for us and in us a deeper work, a more lasting work, a more necessary work in us. And that's what was happening. And so in all their, all their excitement and all their triumph, as positive as it was, they were celebrating a false messiah. They were celebrating a Christ that they had concocted in their minds, not the real Christ. You see, the real Christ, the real Messiah, He came to reveal the complete truth about God. For, for the first time in history of the universe, both angels and humans were going to be given a full, complete, comprehensive revelation of who God is, what He's like, and what He really intends to do. And that was all possible because of God now dwelling in the humanity of Jesus. And when Jesus would ultimately go to that cross, he would demonstrate for all the universe that the almighty creator always harnesses his power under his sacrificial love for those that he created. He's the greatest servant in the universe. We're never safer than when we're close to him. And that would finally and fully be revealed to the extent that the day will come when no one, angelic or human, will ever be tempted to break away from God's will again. You see, the Messiah came to do a deeper work, to reveal God to man, to remove all of our doubts and distrust, and to bring in us such a break with sin that we would literally look at sin as though it was poison and never, ever want anything to do with it again because our trust in our Creator would be so substantial. But they had limited God. The other thing they were doing was they were distorting God's image and making God's image into their own. Uh, what do you mean, Randy? Well, they expected the Messiah, the Christ, to use his supernatural power to become brute force, like, like the power of humans. Brute, mankind has always used the power of brute force. We use threats, we use cruelty, we use violence, we use death to control the masses. And they expected the Messiah to do the same thing. They thought that was the best thing that could be done, is you use force and you use fear and you control populations and you control people that way. But that was not the Christ's intention at all. He knows that that is really weak. That is limited. When you force someone or you threaten someone, you, you hold them in fear, you don't really have their heart. The Messiah's intention was to so reveal his kindness, his sacrificial love, his goodness, that he would authentically win from the inside out, not just the trust, but ultimately the affection, the adoration, and the allegiance of human beings and angels forever and ever. He had a much deeper goal, but they had distorted God and turned God's methodologies and image into their own methodologies and image. And this was not at all what God intended. So, when we allow our desires to create our image and our expectation of Christ, we do a lot of uh, deprivation to ourselves. We, we deprive ourselves of things that God knows we need and He wants to give us, but we tie His hands to that. Let, let me show you something from the illustration that happened uh, back in 1999 to show you how we can distort our vision by our desires. Um, John Kennedy Jr., who was you know, a rather famous, super handsome guy and just had the world by the tail, he was uh, in a plane with his wife and I believe his wife's sister, if I recall correctly. It was, uh, again, July 16, 1999. And their goal was to fly from New Jersey. He was a pilot. 
to fly from New Jersey back up to Martha's Vineyard where they would land and enjoy a vacation or whatever rich people do. I'm not sure, never been one. But as it happened, John Kennedy was an experienced flyer, but he was never instrument trained. Instrument trained meaning that if you know the vision were impaired, if there were a cloud or clouds or fog or, or you know any number of problems, that he could fly strictly by the instruments, flying blind, trusting the accuracy of the instruments to guide him. Well, he didn't have that training. And so there he was that night flying, and the weather did turn bad, and those that have investigated the crash, and of course it took their lives, they believe it's because of his limited vision. He, he was trusting in his own vision to guide him when he should have been willing to trust in the vision of his instruments. Uh, some of you know that the scripture says about we that are Christ followers, it says we don't walk by sight, by what our limited vision can see. We walk by faith or trust. What God tells us about himself and tells us about life, that's what we are to walk by, not by our limited vision. We can't let our desires of what we want God to do dominate and control our understanding of what he's in fact promised to do. So. They were celebrating the right thing, but they were celebrating it for the wrong reasons. Now, we know today that uh, Christ came for a very different reason, a very different purpose. And we can celebrate him now in a very different way because we have an expanded understanding. They were limited. Now, sometimes we may envy them because they, they saw him in person, but frankly, we are in a better position today than they were. So, in closing, I'd like us to think about a few things. As here we are, we're, uh, or they were, they were just five days away from the crucifixion, you know, uh, never expecting that the Messiah would ever, ever end up on a cross. So they were looking at a set of circumstances from a perspective that was not accurate and therefore they were not receiving the help that God intended them. It wasn't what they wanted. He wasn't the Messiah they wanted. And because he wasn't the Messiah they wanted, God could not give them what they really needed. And I want us to pause for a minute and ask yourself, could that possibly, could that possibly be true of us? E even during this very inconvenient, very unwanted shutdown, could, could God be taking these very unusual set of circumstances to give us something that we need rather than something we want. Let me close the illustration and I'll make a couple conclusions that might make this simpler to understand. Let's just suppose that there were a set of medical missionaries, they wanted to take medical help as well as the message of Christ to uh, Stone Age tribal cultures in the Amazon. And this has been done, so this is not an unusual thing. And so they were watching over these tribesmen from a distance, trying to gradually win their friendship. And one day as they were out and about, they see one of the tribal women grab her stomach and then fall to the ground and collapse. Well, the missionaries come running up to her. Now, they don't know that her husband is watching from a distance. They come running up to her. They pick her up and they carry her off. Well, the husband is in absolute panic, thinking, they have now kidnapped his wife. He follows them from afar. They take her back to their compound and right out in the open, they put her up on a table because they, being medical missionaries, being doctors, they discern she has had a ruptured appendix and needs immediate surgery if there's going to be any chance for her to live. And her husband 
is terrified and he's thinking to himself, this is horrible. And as he's watching, he sees them put on masks and, and then the worst of all, he sees them take a knife and cut her wide open and literally take out this organ and toss it to the ground. Now, in his mind, what he would want to see happen, knowing that his wife was sick, that's all he would have known, he would want to see her taken to the witch doctor, and the witch doctor do some rituals over her, and the witch doctor's rituals ultimately raise her back to perfect health. That's what he would have wanted, but his desires would have caused him to lose his wife. You see, she didn't need a witch doctor. What she really needed was real medical help and real surgical procedures. So what he wanted and what his wife needed were two very different things. And his perspective was so limited on what she needed that he in interpreted it as something dire and destructive, whereas it was really something helpful. My point is simply this. It could be that some of us are thinking, man, this, this whole corona thing, it is, it is dire, it is destructive. Maybe you're thinking, my life will never be the same again. My career will never, never be the same. My finances will never be the same. And on and on we could go. But what if, what if what we want is not really what we need? What, what if God sees that we need something deeper, a, a spiritual surgical procedure done deep in us that's gonna be so much better ultimately for us that he is willing he is willing to take us into a, a timeout and work with us in a timeout context. It's so important to him that maybe some of us be truly, finally, spiritually awakened, that maybe some of us really, truly kind of start to experience some purifying of our lives. We, we, we've dallied around with some things that that God wants us finally now to, to let go of because they're to our own detriment. He wants to purify some of our motives. Maybe he wants to awaken some of us to what it really means to have a, a relationship of day-to-day -day intimacy with our God. Maybe he wants some of us to learn the lesson that we don't have to go through life fearful. We can be in any circumstance and our God can sustain us, can provide for us. Maybe, maybe God wants to give us what we need rather than what we desire. And this whole timeout situation is literally made in the hands of a loving Father for the deepest soul care, soul surgical care for we His children. Now I'm just like you. I hope this will end soon. I look forward to getting back together where we can celebrate. But I want to tell you something. I am so confident that God is doing something dramatic during this time. I think He's doing things that you and I each need in our lives. And I think if we get along with God and if we prayerfully, humbly seek Him, it's not what we want maybe, but it is what we need. And it might change our lives and the very trajectory of our lives in such a dramatic fashion that for the rest of our days, we will walk as new people. We will walk as the people of God in full possession of our birthrights as the people of the living and true God. Well, folks, I hope that this Palm Sunday uh, finds you healthy, finds you safe. I'm glad that we could gather together uh, to some degree at least. And as I said, I look so forward when we can gather together uh, physically once again. But, but let, me, let me close this in prayer now. Father, we thank you that you are the one that we need. 
more than the one that we at times want. We, we thank you. Let me, let me say it again. We thank you that you are a good father. We sing it. A good, good father. And you give us what we need, not what we want. We pray that your spirit will give each of us that, that certain degree of understanding we need to examine our lives, to examine this time, to see what it is you want to do deep in us, what deep work you want to do. And we pray that you'll continue to just strengthen us and assure our hearts. We know that you will provide our needs. More than that, we know that we will grow and become stronger if we stay faithful to you during this time. We worship you and thank you until we all get together again soon. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. FCF, thank you so much for allowing me to share this Sunday with you. And uh, I'll be seeing you in the rest of the week in daily devotionals and a midweek message and a Friday question and answer session. God bless you all. Talk to you again soon. Bye now.